Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Jahan Cox teaches on Trust God or Get Hooked. Okay, so um, I took Michael on a getaway for his birthday earlier in the month, and we went fishing, which was hilarious. Because when I say we, I mean mostly him. And I was his moral support. You know, like, way to go, babe, way to catch that fish, you know. I don't touch hooks, I don't touch worms, I don't touch fish. But I went fishing. (laughs) And I sat in a chair, and I got some sun, and I listened to some music, and no one said mom for a good seven hours. (laughs) And we fished. And occasionally I would not be fishing, Oh, that means I wouldn't be holding a pole. Like, that was the extent of my fishing. (laughs) And he would be like, babe, like, fish with me. And I'd be like, I'm no good at this. Every time I put a worm out there, I just feed the fish, and I don't catch it. I just need a break for a minute, you know. It was really funny. Anyway, so when we were fishing, I got this download, and um, I started sharing with Michael what I feel like the Lord has given me. And it's really funny. Um when we start talking about teaching together, you know. We don't really talk about leading worship together because I primarily do that, you know. So we talk about teaching, and I was like, yeah, and this, and he's like, yeah, and this, and I was like, no, and this, and he was like, no, and this, and it was really funny, and I was like, I wonder if today he's going to be sitting there going, that's not what we went over. Like, you totally changed all of that. It's going to be funny. Okay. Okay, I think I'm set up. Okay, let's, um, we're going to open to Matthew 24. We're going to hang out and camp around verse 10 in a minute, but I wanted to give you some um, back history of the context of this conversation Jesus is having, and I think it's deeply impactful for where we are in the day and time we're living in. Um, Before we start in Matthew 24, I want to... um, just go a little bit further and talk to you about Matthew 23. Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And these are some of my favorite things to read because Jesus says things that one day I'm going to get to say. And I think when I say them, it will, of course, make me more like Jesus. But I haven't had the guts to tell anyone they're a brood of vipers yet. I'm waiting for the day, though. Like, I want so badly to say, you are a whitewashed tomb. I mean, he said it. I feel like it's merited that I should get to say it if he said it, okay? So he's in conversation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he basically just laces them. I mean, he's not, I'm sure there's love there because he is love, okay? But he's not, he doesn't pat them on the back. He just is like, listen, this is the condition of your heart. And I'm probably most certainly sure that it's full of mercy and love because if he never presented them with the opportunity of the reality of their heart, then maybe they would never see how deceived they were, right? So I don't think Jesus is like throwing things and being ugly. I just think he's telling them the truth. So he has this conversation and then uh, he's with the disciples and they're coming out of the temple. So this is kind of where we are, okay? So Matthew 24 Verse 1, and I'm going to read from the Passion. Okay. 
Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Am I reading? That's in ASB. Why is that not reading on the Passion? Guys, I looked it. I did the Passion. I promise. It's just taking forever to load. Okay, I'll just read it from here. Oh, wow, my eyes. Thank God I got good vision. All right. As Jesus was leaving the temple courts, his disciples came up to him and pointed out the beautiful aspects of the architecture of the temple structures, okay, which I think is hilarious, okay? We just totally told all the religious people how they have nothing but form and tradition and no power, and they're like, isn't this a beautiful building? think if Jesus is going, did you miss everything we just talked about? <laughs> okay, verse two. And Jesus turned to them and said, take a good look at all these things, for I'm telling you, there will not be one stone left upon another. It will all be leveled. Okay, pause right here. Have you ever had a moment with your parents where they're like, look into the whites of my eyes? <laughs> Read the words coming out of my mouth. You know that kind of moment? Every one of you just had 10 references. From the oldest to the youngest, to the youngest, you were like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Okay, I really think that's what kind of moment this was for Jesus. I don't think they're passing and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm gonna tear that whole thing down. Keep going. I think he's like, take a good look. Stop, look at me, look into the whites of my eyes. See that building right there? Yeah. I'm gonna turn the whole thing on its head. I mean, what do you say to that, right? Okay, is there something wrong with the building? Like, does it offend, does the building offend you? Why do we gotta tear it down? Okay, verse three. Later when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, so I mean, they're like, okay, he's gonna tear the building down, should we keep walking? Do we talk about this? So they're walking, you know. Later they arrive and his disciples come up to him privately and where he's sitting and they say, um, when are we doing all this stuff? When are we tearing down the buildings and, you know, like all the stones, all that, when are we doing that? Can you just be the, see them like timidly being like, um, did we do something? Should we supposed to be there when that happens? Like, does this mean you're going to take over? Um, you know, can you just see that, like, playing out? When are these things going to happen, Jesus? And what supernatural sign should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of this age? So they're thinking, they are thinking, okay, we're going to take over. You know, because we read all throughout the Gospels, that's how they're programmed to think. Okay, Jesus is going to take over. Rome is coming out. Israel's coming in. Ooh, world government. That's what they're thinking, okay? So when, when is all this going to happen? And I love how Jesus always answers their questions, but doesn't answer their questions. Okay, so verse 4, he says, Jesus answered. All right? At that time, deception will run rampant. So beware that you are not fooled. Verse 5, for many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointed, and they will, be le they will lead many astray. Verse 6, you will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of war to come. Don't panic, 
or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world system is destined to happen. That's when everyone in the room should shout. But well, it won't yet be the end. It will still be un. Folding. Verse 7, nations will go to war against uh, each other and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportion, horrible academics and famines in place after place. This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. Push pause. Verse 4. He answers their question, when can we expect this to happen? And I imagine Jesus at that point steps outside. He goes back to when he was outside of time. And he's like, okay, I've seen this whole thing play out from beginning to end. And I do believe with all my heart he's speaking of, I am about to tear this specific temple down. But I also think he's speaking over the course of history, how he will come in again and again and again and tear down buildings and systems and powerless structures that do not demonstrate kingdom, that do not represent his heart and his nature. And he's telling us these are the signs. The first sign he gives is deception, verse 4, deception will run rampant. Oh my goodness. Deception. What's deception? The ability to, you can't see. You really think you know and you don't know. You're blind and deaf, really. Rampant. I was like, what does that word mean, rampant? I mean, I've used it in context and I understand it in context, but when I looked up the word, let's, let's read this together. Violent in action or spirit. Would anyone say deception is running violent or raging, perhaps? Furious. Maybe. Is it growing luxuriously? Maybe. Like weeds. Is it growing in full sway? Is it prevailing and going unchecked? Yes. Signal number one. Check. Deception will run rampant. I also think it's interesting that word rampant also literally describes um, the position of an animal when they are about to launch an attack. And I think that's what the spirit of deception does. It swells up and it makes itself big and it gets up on its hind two legs as if it's going to launch at us. It won't work, it won't win, but deception will run rampant. Verse 5, many will say to themselves, I am God's anointed. I think if someone has to announce to you that they're powerful, they're probably not. <laughs> All right? I think their life will demonstrate their power in how they treat their wife and their children and their husbands, in how they handle conflict, in how they handle relationships, the power to lay your life down and not always be right and love. This is messing up my microphone. Isn't it nice, though, my kimono? I thought it was a moo-moo. I was corrected. This is not a moo-moo. Moomoo's are, in fact, quite hideous from the description I heard. <laughs> this is a kimono, right? I don't know what that means either, but I'm glad, I'm glad I've got it on. Okay, here we go. Do I need to move it more forward so it's not? There we go. That, that bothers me less. Okay. So deception will run. I am all kind of tangled up here. Praise God. It's hard to be a woman and wear a wireless thingy. Okay. Um, <laughs> deception will run rampant. 
Check. People will announce how powerful they are. I have all the answers. Check. Some of them aren't even doing it in the name of God, and some of them are. And I think that kind of, you know, rubs him the wrong way. I'm sorry, you just put my name on something I have nothing to do with. I think that irritates him. I think we're going to see how, how he handles that in the coming days. Verse 6, wars and rumors of wars on every side. Okay, I really always thought when I read this that this was going to be about bombs and guns and tanks, you know. Um, but we're in a war. Communities are burning their own self down. We're fighting our brothers and our sisters, and we're fighting over nonsense. We are absolutely in a war right now. 110%, no question about it, we're in a war. And I love what he says to this, don't panic. Okay, you just told me, Jesus, Jesus, first of all, you're, tone, you're, you're flipping the building upside down. And you said every stump. Like, you weren't even going to just politely shift it a little. You're throwing the whole thing upside down on its head. You just say that in passing. Then you tell us deception is going to run completely rampant. You're going to tell us people are going to say they're from you and not be from you at all. And then you're telling me there's going to be rumors of wars and wars on every side. And I'm not supposed to panic. What? Here's what happens if you panic. If you panic, you'll hide. If you panic, you'll surrender your right to speak to it. You'll surrender your right to pray and change it. You'll hide under a bushel. You'll be completely ineffective. You'll decide someone else has more power and more authority, and you will surrender the whole thing over when, in fact, the church should be shining her brightest in the darkest hour. It's not our moment to panic. It's not our time to retreat. It's not our time to be afraid. It's our time to go, I knew this was coming. Jesus warned us about and the very thing he told me not to do was the very thing my sin nature wants to do which is hide and panic and well I'm just not going to say a word I don't want to offend anybody because love never love never offends what did you read Matthew 23 don't panic don't panic. Don't be afraid. Let's read it together, verse 7 we, or 6. Will you go to verse 6 again? There we go. You will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Okay, so it's going to happen and then it's going to keep happening. Okay? But don't panic or give in to your fears or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world's system is destined to happen but if your confidence is in the world's system you're probably panicking if your confidence is in the kingdom of heaven and the king of that kingdom then you are like I knew this was coming I know the beginning to the end of this thing no panic don't have to surrender to my fears 
But if all your stuff and everything that's valuable and precious to you is tied up in the very system that is destined to be destroyed, you probably are a little nervous. And I think it's the goodness of God that you're nervous. It's the goodness of God that you're like, oh crap, all this stuff that I've like totally set up and had totally secure and ready to go that's not built on, you know, the rock and on sinking sand, it's starting to move a little, it's starting to shake. It's about to fall apart. He's about to turn the whole thing on its head. When's this going to happen? Oh, just about 150,000 times from now till I come back again. I'm going to do it the first time real big, though. I've been waiting on this one. And now I'm going to rip from top to bottom the curtain that keeps me from coming into them and them into me. So that when all this stuff falls apart, they don't have to be afraid because they come into the presence of love itself. They can look into the eyes of the one who promised he's coming back again. And they won't have to be afraid. Verse 7. It's not the end yet. It's not the end yet. It's going to keep coming. This is how, verse 8, this is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. Any mamas in the room had babies? Every single dude in the room just went, oh, here we go. I'm not going to hang out here long, Rudy, I promise. <laughs> or Logan. They're both doing much better around our mixed company conversations. There are now several moms in the group, so when we get together to do music and we start talking about things that you can, you literally, they peel back and like, you know. Paul has to stay. He's a dad, you know. He can't leave but they really don't want to be there. Okay, so first contractions and birth pains. Contractions and birth pains. The earth is in labor. Romans 8, the earth is groaning and travailing. For what? It doesn't say for Jesus to return. Have you ever read that before? It doesn't say the earth is groaning for Jesus. The earth is groaning for you to take your place. If you would step into your place, this new age Jesus is prophesying, yes, it's when he comes back, but it's been we're ruling and reigning with him. Our assignment does not end at the grave. You get a new body, you get an upgrade, you get to be young forever, no wrinkles, and I pray if we're fat we get to be skinny. And I pray if we had stretch marks we won't anymore, hallelujah, I'm looking for that. I'm actually looking for a navel, I just want a navel in heaven. <laughs> I lost mine when I was 22. It's too, it's too early to, to lose a navel, if you ask me. Anyways. <laughs> the earth is groaning for us to take our place, not for Jesus to return. Jesus will return when we take our place and every nation hears the announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord. When every nation hears, then he can come back. But he cannot come back if we are hiding and giving into our fears and panicking and retreating and staying quiet and being silent. Yep. Yep. Hiding under a bushel. No. 
I'm going to let it shine. Verse 9. You can expect to be persecuted. You can expect to be persecuted. Okay, we've checked off verse 4. Verse 5 all, all, verse four is happening. Verse 5 is happening. Verse 6 is happening. Verse 7 is happening. Verse 8 is happening. Verse 9. Most of us here in the Bible Belt, it'll never touch us. That's what we think. Read your Bible. You can expect to be persecuted, even killed. For you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. If we are not understanding and aware and training our children that the day they are living in may require their life for who they believe in and what they believe in, we have not equipped them. We cannot teach children to be one who tolerate in the name of love and are afraid to speak truth. Meekness and humility is not afraid to speak truth. That's not the same thing. And if your child at the age of 20 doesn't know who she is, who she believes in, why she believes, what she believes, but all she has is a pretty architectural, structural building on the outside that looks really good, but there's no power and there's no demonstration and there's no authority and there's no presence and there's no relationship, when she comes to the place where her faith requires action, she will be ill-equipped. Why do we think all this is happening, but we get to check out of verse 9 and maybe verse 10? Oh, rumors of wars and panic and famines. But we don't, need to, we don't need to worry about that stuff. We do. We don't need to worry about it. We need to be aware of it. We need to understand the time we're living in. Verse 10. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. Some translations say many will be offended and fall away. Not once in the other verses has he talked about falling away. He's, he's warned us of what's going to happen. This is what's going to be happening. These are your signals, okay? Deception running rampant, wars and rumors of wars. All this stuff is going to be happening. And here's, here's the opportunity you have as a believer. Either at the end of the chapter we'll see in verse 14, you have hope and you endure and you're delivered, or you're offended. Did you hear what I just said? Either... You will have hope anchored in trust and you will be delivered or you will be offended and fall away. Let's keep reading verse 11. And many lying prophets will arise deceiving multitudes leading them away from the path of truth. Verse 12. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness 
that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. Hold on a minute now. I mean, I thought we were talking about the people that never really knew Jesus. They weren't real, you know, they were always kind of mediocre anyway. That's probably why they got offended and fell away. Nope. Ones whose hearts once burned with passion will get offended and fall away. Yes, I am talking to you. And I am talking to me. Never in my entire life have I had more opportunity to be offended than in the last two years. I mean... I've been wanting to karate chop some folks. And I think there are probably several I could have called a brood of vipers, but I didn't do it. Either you will hope to the end and be delivered, or you will be offended. So we're going to go fishing for a minute. Thank you to the Moors for letting me borrow your toddler playtime pool because Walmart was out. Imagine that. So here's what happens. Our enemy goes fishing. I think it's really hilarious because Jesus said that, you know, they would be the fishers of men. And so in essence, he was saying, in parallel, we have been called sheep and fish. I don't know how you feel about that but it's not looking good. Guys, fish swim in circles. <laughs> and see through glass darkly. And repeat and go, oh, I see something shiny. <laughs> I just really thought it was funny that we've been called sheep and fish, okay? So the enemy goes fishing for us. And he baits the line. When you go fishing, how do you bait? You bait the line for what the fish likes. I dare say you bait the hook, the fish, with what they were created to eat. Right? Fish eat worms, right? I mean, that's not like a thing we created and made up. Fish eat worms. Apparently, carp like bread. Because every time we put, Michael would chum the waters. Guys, it was so funny. He said, I'm going to chum the waters. And he would throw a whole piece of bread out. And it was really funny. Because <laughs> all the little fishies would come up and eat all the bread. And then they would go away. And by the time he got his hook ready, every time he chummed the waters, he missed the big carp that would come. And it was really funny. But not funny at all. <laughs> but really funny. <laughs> so the enemy chums the waters. He puts on the hook what we were created to eat. Wait a minute, Jahan. James 1 says God will never tempt us and every good and perfect gift comes from God. How is the God's going to, I mean, how does the enemy take what God gives us and hook us with it? Because when we don't trust God with that thing, the enemy can put a hook in it. When you don't trust God with your relationship, he can put a hook in it. When you don't trust God with authority, enemy can put a hook in it. When you don't trust God with community and other believers and trust God with their heart, 
the enemy can put a hook in it. So, let's talk about this one. Oh, isn't that great? This is my husband's idea. I'm really glad he didn't preach this sermon. Many will be offended in verse 10. That word offend comes from the Greek word scandalon, which is where we get the word scandal. It's a trap set. And you and I get to decide if we're going to take it. Okay? So let's talk about the first one. This one says relationships. You and I were created for relationships. Absolutely. Talk to all the people that are dealing with corona and depression and isolation. We were created for relationships. Here's what happens. God gives you opportunity to create relationship. You don't trust him with the heart of the individual you're in relationship with. Right? And you become offended. And then you tell God it's his fault because he won't give you the right kind of relationship. But you don't trust God for that relationship, so you just, some of you taking any old, uh, I mean like a beat up, nasty, ugly worm, you know. Some of you not waiting on a choice worm, if you know what I'm saying. At least wait on the choice worm, right? But then, Trust God with it. Whoever God puts in your path, trust God with them. When they make a mistake, trust God with them. Because here's the deal. You can't keep having conflict with people in relationship and it always be their fault. It's probably got a little bit of something to do with you. There's probably some conflict in you. You need to deal with it. You probably have trust issues that you need to deal with. So maybe when they said this or did this, it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with you, and you got offended and threw them out with the other 15 other words. And then you're mad at God. Right? Don't we do that? Okay, so then the next thing we're created for is community. Created to walk in fellowship. That word's koinonia, which means you ask difficult questions. There's an actual exchange that takes place. Believe it or not, it's not always sitting and eating barbecue and talking about football, okay? It's actually an exchange at a spirit level. No diss on people that eat barbecue and watch football, okay? Do that. Just go deeper at the end of it, okay? So you are created to have hard conversations, to ask difficult questions, to wrestle and cry over the table while you drink coffee about raising your kid or that conflict at work or whatever. Hey, what is what is what truth have you discovered about this? That's koinonia. That's fellowship. It's not surface level religious junk that we call fellowship. Well, I went to the fellowship last night at the barbecue. I hid. I sat with my family. I talked to no one because I was intimidated to speak with anyone. But I sure did have a good time at that fellowship. Hey, just a little side note here. If you want friends, show yourself friendly. It's not in the Bible. 
just a really good saying. If you want friends, introduce yourself. Put yourself out there. If you feel intimidated and weird, that's not on them. That's on you. Get through it. Press through it. Get healed. But you're never going to wake up and feel better about yourself unless you deal with what's going on inside of you. You're just going to keep blaming the whole world and tell everybody, I, I, I just, everyone's mean and my church is full of mean people. You're created for community. But if you don't trust God with the believers in this room, trust God with the position of their heart, trust God when maybe they do something crazy and they were having an off day and you let it go like Proverbs says. Let's read that real fast. Hold on. Stay. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred keeps old quarrels alive, but love draws a veil over every insult and finds a way to make sin disappear. What? You mean if I trust God with those in community, they can even hurl an insult at me and I can choose to cover that and stay in connection and relationship with somebody? Some of you, they don't even have to hurl an insult at you. They can just look at you at what you perceive to be the wrong way. I wonder what they meant when they looked at me that way. I wonder what they were thinking. You know, I heard she told four other people before me that this, this, and that, and the other. That You know, I have drawn this lovely conclusion with the help of demons that so-and-so means so-and-so about me. When you step out outside of the realm of truth, and have a conversation outside of partnership with truth, what we know is true, then we invite and engage in the demonic. They partner with us in our conversation, and we wonder why we're so offended and broken and tore up and can't be friends with anybody. Moving right along. Oh, I was going to save this one to the end, but it's fine. We'll talk about it now. Truth. You know you were made for truth. You are made to carry it, made to share it, made to allow it to, like, do surgery on you. Proverbs ten seventeen. If you readily receive correction, you are walking on the path to life. But if you reject rebuke, you're guaranteed to go astray. What? Everyone isn't always wrong. God keeps putting people in your life to tell you a hard thing because he loves you. And if you keep rejecting it because it offends you, that's not their problem. It's yours. When truth comes, it's supposed to hurt. You know why? It's a sword. It's not a flower. The picture that God gives in his word for truth is a sword. On all sides, it's sharp. If you barely brush up against it, it's a smidge uncomfortable. But every time someone brings something to you because it didn't come in vain, it wrapped perfume anointed sachet pat patches you decide that cannot be true cannot no that hurt that hurt me hurt me 
hurt me. It touched the can cankerous ulcer oozing from my spirit that is now the size of Texas, and it can't be God. <laughs> Truth might offend, but if you'll just receive it and let it do the work, then the part of you that it offends will die, and the part of you that needs to live will live, and it'll be a really great day, a really, really good thing. Oh, I wish we could get that, myself included. You know what I do when someone brings truth to me? Um, most likely, most time it's my husband. You know why? Because I married my pastor, which is kind of sad. So I have to call sometimes other people, and they tell me exactly what he said, but I hear it better from them, you know, because <laughs> I don't go to bed with him at night, and it's fine. I'm not bitter about my position in life, but here's what, here's what I have to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to defend or make an excuse. Never, not one time on the face of the planet have I wanted to go, tell me more. <laughs> Keep it coming. This feels awesome. This is the best time we have ever had in our life. Tell me more. <laughs> Keep it coming. Could you make me a list? Could you sit out and make me a list? Could you highlight the ones you see the most often? You know, just put it on my fridge. No. I defend. Well, I only did that because of this, 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 and this. Right? Or I make an excuse. Well, I just blah, 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 blah. As if the mistake that was made was made on accident. Outside of my control. And then I don't own the very thing that God's trying to correct me on and bring healing and truth to. And so I really actually kind of remain powerless. When as a son or daughter of God, I am powerful. And if I will own and readily receive the correction that God's trying to bring, then I can learn from that thing, put a tool in my tool belt, and move on. Because it's not personal. It's not personal. I was raised and born in sin, and God's just trying to redeem every part of me. Doesn't mean he loves me less. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means he's trying to answer the prayers of my heart, which is, God, please let there not be any wicked way found in me. Let my heart bring glory and honor. Let my dialogues and exchanges with other humans make you happy and please you and put a smile on your face. Okay, I'm going to bring someone in your life that's going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to need you to not defend it or excuse it. I'm going to need you to sit there and readily receive it. Mm, I don't know if I can do that. It's your choice. Here we go. Just three more. Breathe. Fun. Man, this one like made my head spin when God said fun. I was like, fun? What? You were made for fun and adventure. Like intentionally designed that way. I'm just going to throw this out there. There are actually parts of your body that are only for fun. Wink, wink. God's idea, not Satan's. Fun. Adventure. Fun. But when you believe and partner with the lie, 
that he doesn't give fun, that he's not the author of fun, then you go elsewhere to find it. When you don't trust that God is fun and what he's calling you to is fun and the thing he's requiring of you is full and packed with thrill and adventure, then the enemy can put a hook in it. And that thing that you think you're doing for fun is actually a hook in your mouth dragging you into the darkest chamber of darkness. But if I know I'm created for fun and I'm intended for adventure, then I get to experience the fullness of that without shame. No shame attached. No hook in the mouth. I imagine a hook in the mouth is painful. I imagine a hook in the mouth probably changes how the fish eats. I imagine the hook in the mouth, should the fish be able to speak, and she can, that it probably would change the way she speaks if she leaves the hook in the mouth. That's what's wrong with some of us. We've got a hook in our mouth. And so it's hard to eat what God's bringing to us. And everything we say, there's a residue of pain because we won't let God deal with it. Authority. When I don't trust God with authority, the refining that God wants to do can't get done without God bringing a bigger sledge and a sledge, bigger sledge hammer. Yeah. If you're a diamond and God's trying to get the diamond out of you and God puts in his hand a pastor or a boss or a parent or a teacher or whatever, and God uses that authority to refine you and you wiggle and resist that refining, then God has to bring in a little bit bigger hammer and chisel. Your potentials decrease because I was working with refining tools and now I'm working with like a big joker that's got to knock this thing off you. You know? You think you're offended with the authority, the pastor, the teacher, the leader, but you're really offended with the hand that holds the authority, which is God. What if God, what if God had hardened the hearts of the authorities over you to resist when you pitch a fit, to resist your tears and not be moved by them so that they can get to the deep you in you? What if God is the one that's made them with a really strong backbone that's unmoved by you doing your emotional stuff that every other leader has been intimidated by and so they can't really get to your issue and speak truth to you? What if God is the one? Then it doesn't matter who you go to or where you go. There's somebody going to be waiting on you with a strong backbone unmoved by your pitching fits, ready, sees you like God sees you, sees you and says it 
and you're going to be mad again. Because when you don't trust God with the authority over them, there's a hook there and you become offended. And here's the two options. In the day we're living in, either you have hope until the end and you're delivered or you're offended and fall away. You can't stay offended and have hope and get delivered. It, you can't do both. You either have to have trust anchored in hope, knowing who God is and everyone you're engaging with and encountering is in the hand of God and he can speak and he can correct and he can redeem and he can restore. Or God is asleep. He has no idea what's going on. Every joker down here is crazy. And you're offended and you think you're okay, but you're deceived, which means you can't see your own blind spot and you fall away. Last one. Conflict. Why we were made for conflict? Yes, yes you were. James chapter 1. You were made for conflict. The glory of God that's in you comes as a result of conflict. The testing of your faith is required to produce gold. Conflict. You were made for it. You were made to shine in it. You were made to reveal the glory of God in it. You were made to come out on the other side stronger and wiser and more like him. But if you don't trust God with conflict, then every person you have conflict with puts a hook in your mouth. And you think it's them. But your enemy just went fishing and baited the hook correctly and got you for the 459th time. If you can enter conflict with, I love Jesus, they love Jesus. All the big stuff's taken care of. Now, I know how I feel all too well. I'm going to go in today and try to understand how they feel. And I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to make an excuse. Just going to see where they are. Own anything I need to own. Lay down my life and pick up anything that needs to be picked up. Because, see, the Bible says that you and I are ministers of reconciliation. Let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think verse 18. Yes. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. You and I are ministers of reconciliation. There needs to be no reconciliation if there's never any conflict, right? So if I am a minister of reconciliation, then I was made for conflict. I was born to level the balances out, to bring redemption to the situation. I have never... I want to say never. I'm going to go with a solid three years on this since I opened the school. 
The first year, I thought God was trying to kill me. I was like, oh, my gosh. Email after email after. You know those people that get up and talk about, go ahead and email me. I was like, who emails people like that all the time? I found out. <laughs> Mess with people's kids, you'll get lots of emails. <laughs> and rightfully so. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. I genuinely was like, oh my gosh, am I going to wake up every day with conflict? And then I went to God in prayer about it, and I was like, God, I'm just kind of done with this. Like, I, I, can, I can do a lot of things, but this conflict thing, I mean, it's just day after day, wave after wave. I can't keep doing this conflict thing. And the Lord was like, you can and you will. He did not cry with me, did not comfort me, not, not even the slightest hint of it. All he said was, you can and you will. And then I was like, okay, he must not have heard me. We'll talk about this again later. Anybody ever do that with God? <laughs> he didn't hear my position. We'll talk about this again later. So I brought it back to him again, and he was like, okay, baby girl, listen up. You're going to get so good at conflict, I'm going to keep it coming at you until you're unafraid of it. And I was like, oh, that's not how this conversation was supposed to go. You were supposed to say, Oh, it's okay. I know you don't like conflict. <laughs> I know it's hard for you, and I know it pushes all your emotional buttons, and I know you like to hide behind all that, and oh, but never mind. No. He was like, oh, we're going to get real good at it. Oh, he was excited when he said it to us. I saw his face. He was like, we're going to get real good at it, and I was like... It's like me saying, like your kids saying, I don't want to go on a roller coaster. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And they're kicking and screaming and like crying. And, and every parent's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're going on a roller coaster. They're going to get really good at it. That's what I felt like God was doing to me. And I will say, I have learned some things. I'm still not great at it. I still can be a little bit antagonizing. But it's, I'm going to get better. I, I've learned I really like to be right. Anyone else like to be right? Just me. It's fine. All of y'all are liars, but it's fine. <laughs> I really want to be right. And I want you to know you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying it like it is. I mean, I do. So I guess I'm going to keep having to deal with this conflict thing because I'm not yet good at it. Anyways, I saw something in the spirit today. When um, I was praying about where the Lord would have us land today. Okay, um, I do want to, can we go back to Matthew 24? And I want us to read, I think, 10 through the end there. Or, yeah, 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 10. Thanks. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. Oh, my goodness, we are seeing that. Verse 11. And many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. Verse 12, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will go cold, push, pause. Listen, we need to pray and bind the spirit of lawlessness in the land. Okay, taking police officers and departments out is not okay. That's lawlessness. It's an agenda of a demonic influence. We need to pray, okay? Pray, amen. Verse 13. But keep your hope to the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. 
deliverance from wars, rumors of wars, deliverance from deception running rampant, deliverance from false prophets leading astray, deliverance from all the things. If I will just keep my hope to the end and experience life and deliverance. And verse 14, yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of this age will come, arrive. The end of the age where we get to start ruling and reigning with God. Where Jesus doesn't come and just rescue us. Jesus comes and picks us up from this position of ruling and reigning as sons and daughters in the earth to a graduated position of ruling and reigning. I had hope and was fully alive and trusted in this realm. And now I have hope and I am more alive than I've ever been ruling and reigning in this realm. If I view life through, oh Jesus, I'm hiding, come and save me. I don't really know what I don't really know what happens to those folks. I'm not going to even say it. I don't know. I just know that's not what was the the intention of the Father. I'll say that. So here's what I, what I saw today. I saw um, family units, and I saw actually the Lord took me back to about eight or nine years ago when we were here, and it was um, Powell Church of God, and we were at a women's meeting. And I think Elias was maybe seven or eight. I don't even know if we were here yet or if we were just visiting. But um, the Lord took me to where uh, the person that was speaking had um, Elias lay hands on Michael's eyes. And then Michael laid hands on his dad's eyes. And I saw that picture, and I was like, God, what are you saying? And I felt like the Lord said that this morning, the generations, it's one thing for you to say, God, I want you to break the deception off of me. It's another for the generation following you to cry out for that. You know? Like, God, I pray that my dad will not walk in deception, and my dad will see and lead me accordingly. And God, I pray my son will not walk in deception. I think there's just, I don't know, there's another element of agreement and power in that. So I want us to do that this morning. I want us to pray two ways. I want those of you that are in your family units. I, I don't want husbands and wives um, exchanging unless you don't have any of your kids with you. Then that's cool. Then by all means, wives, cry out for your husbands to see and husbands cry out for your wives. I just said that to say like those of you in family units, I don't want the moms and dads to just like, the children not exercising the activity and you two go off on your own little world, okay? I want the children to lay hands on their father's eyes and the fathers to lay hands on their children's eyes. And I want you to pray in two ways, that they will never walk in deception, that, you would, that deception would be revealed. And then um, I also want you to pray for your dad or your mom to see you the way God sees you. And vice versa. I want parents, when you're praying for your children, for you to see them as God made them. If you have children and they're not in this room, there is no distance or time in the spirit. 
and I, you can just lay your hands right over their eyes right in front of you and pray. But I saw this today. If you don't have children yet, you can pray as if you do. Um, I think I've given enough instruction that everyone can be involved. Maybe. But I think it's really, 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 really important that you don't just lay hands on your own eyes. That dads, you let your sons pray. Moms, let your daughters pray. Moms, let your sons pray. And vice versa. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yep. Okay. So Jesslaine's going to pray, and I am asking that there be actually action and movement and a response to the invitation. I can't make you do it, but I would love for any of you and all of you that can. Most of you are sitting in family groups anyways because of the nature of this beast we're in. But if you are not, I want you to get with them right now. And um, actually, Justine, I think it's really important that you not play and you participate. Can you put on um, some worship in the back? Um, do we have albums back there to choose from? I, I, there's a person back there. I just can't see their head. Sorry. Thank you. All right. If you want to get oil, you can. Um, I don't actually know if you can't. It's not up here. I lied. Imagine there's oil. Um, fathers and sons, sons and daughters, pray, pray, pray. And we're going to turn this up a little bit so that people maybe aren't as conscious about being hurt praying. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.